Camera speeds. A mark. Hello and welcome to the Focus Polar at Work podcast. I'm your host Dennis Kunell, and on today's episode I'll get to chat with Dave Tolsky. Dave is located in the greater Los Angeles area in beautiful California and we will talk about what it was like working on the sitcoms of the early 90s and the equipment they were using back in the day. Dave is also the founder of a company called Genuine Hollywood Works and he handcrafts some really beautiful wooden front boxes for us first ACs. So Dave will tell us all about that as well. All of that and so much more on today's episode of the Focus Polar at Work podcast. Enjoy. Dave. Uh, thank you very, very much for being on the pod today. Um, welcome. Um, thanks for taking the time. Pleasure. Thank you for having me, and uh, I look forward to talking with you. Awesome. Uh, Dave, um, before we get to uh, you know the genuine Hollywood works, um, yeah. the front boxes, I would love to uh, dig into your past a little bit um, because IMDb told me that you have been a camera assistant yourself as well as an operator uh, later on. So maybe just give us a little bit of a rundown, uh, if you don't mind, like what's your background? When did you get into the industry? How did all that happen? The IMDB has all of my secrets. Yeah. Right? It has all of my, my career is on IMDB. Um, but, uh, but I got in, uh, gosh, I want to say it was back in the... Well, it was in the mid '80s, um, and I got in, and I took what I t my path in the industry is not so unlike very many other people in the camera department. Um, I did go to film school, um, I, but of course, it, it started bef way before then when I started to really appreciate the photographic end of movie making and 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 television and and. And that goes back to my dad taking me to the movies uh, when I was a kid downtown in these in Chicago in these gigantic theaters um, that that were probably you know were probably theaters where they had big plays, but then they converted them into movie palaces, literally movie palaces. And we would go downtown Chicago and see these, these wonderful films, and I just fell in love with the photographic images that I was seeing. And it was, and so that kind of stuck with me as a, as a child as I as I got older, um, and decided way back, like when I was in high school, that I wanted to get into filmmaking. Now, get, uh, granted, you know, a kid from Chicago, that's not an easy thing to accomplish. Uh, a kid from Chicago trying to get into the film business. Um, but I did go to film school in Chicago, a very good school that's still running today called Columbia College Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, excellent. One of the best film schools in the country, really, and it keeps evolving and getting better. Um, and upon graduation, I started working for the premier camera rental house in Chicago, which was called Victor Duncan at the time. And Victor Duncan was a cinematographer himself, 
and uh, and and he owned, I think, three rental houses. As he as he got older and didn't st- stop shooting, he he opened up a rental house, camera rental house. So he had one in Dallas, Texas. He had one in Detroit, Michigan, and he had one in Chicago. Um, and of course, uh, right out of film school, as I graduated, I got a job at Victor Duncan in Chicago, and so. That was my first hands-on experience working with uh, Panavision cameras um, because they were the Midwest distributor for Panavision cameras. Okay. For, for uh, The popular Panavision cameras at the time was like the Panaflex X. The, the, um, it hadn't quite—it was just starting to progress into the Panavision Gold, uh, the G2— um, and, and so on and so forth. But back then, I mean, you know, they were still using cinema products, you know, 16, just the wonderful, the, the wonderful workhorse cameras. Um, you, you know, you're talking about the, um, cinema products, CP 16, the, even, even the Mitchell Mark twos were still in use at, at that time doing like, like, uh, special effects plates and things like that when you needed a steady movement camera um so those were the popular cameras and and basically so i worked as a as a as a camera technician a camera prep technician in the rental houses uh and in chicago and then two years doing that uh otto nemens who had a rental house in hollywood you maybe you've heard of otto nemens absolutely a big big name big name so Otto, Otto hired me over the phone, and that was my ticket to Hollywood. Oh, cool. So, so uh, he, he had this funny, interesting thing was Otto put an ad in American Cinematographer magazine. And, and the funny, <laughs> it's actually funny because I was working at the time at Victor Duncan, and he called me on the phone, and I'm talking to him, you know, He's basically interviewing me over the phone at at Victor Duncan to determine, and, and I I had always planned on coming out west to California anyway, but that was the that was the basically the straw that broke the camel's back. He 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 kind of hired me over this over the phone. Said we we need a prep technician. Uh, do you want to come by? And I said yes. Wow! And so that's how you ended up in in California, and then uh, worked for Otto Nemens for for how long? That's correct. Um, I worked for Autos for for only a year before I went freelance as a camera assistant. So, um, you know, you know, here I was in California and I was pursuing the dream, so to speak, uh, of what I always wanted to do. So um, uh, I worked for Autos for, for a year. It was good. I made some contacts at the time, even some camera assistants from Chicago came out to California to work on films and they knew of me. And so, um, that was sort of my ticket out of the rental houses and into the freelance world of working as a camera assistant. Awesome. And then, um, because when I look through your IMDb, it, it looks like you did a lot of, um, I correct me if I'm wrong here, but it looks like you did a lot of like the, um, the really like the studio lot kind of productions, um, that were shot like on stage. <laughs> Yes, I did, but but uh, they that didn't come first. My first jobs were non-union. You know, you can't start really doing the studio jobs until you get into the union. Okay. And getting into the union in Hollywood is no easy task. 
Um, you, you really have to, you have to be at the right place at the right time. Um, of course it's, I think it's easier now than it was back when I got in. But when I, when I left, finally left the rental houses, um, I was working non-union, um, on, on commercials, on, on low budget features, um, as, as a, as a loader and a second assistant you know, and, and kind of trying to work my way up the, 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 the camera ladder that way. And, um, you know, so, so I, I got some decent jobs doing that. My, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse, which was Pee Wee Herman, that was a very well-known Saturday morning show. And that was one of my first jobs out of the rental house. And it was non-union and low budget. You wouldn't know it to look at it because it, it looks like a, a well-polished, you know, really nice, not to say that non, non-union shows don't look that way, <laughs> you know, low budget ones, but, but, uh, but, um, you know, that was a good start to, to get into that flow of episodic television. Um, so, so, so I got a job working, working on that show, doing, doing some commercials and fortune, uh, fortune beheld I, I, an, op, I, I, an opportunity came up to work on a, on a very big feature film with a camera assistant who came from Chicago that I had known previously who came to California. Um, a feature film called Less Than Zero. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about this, this movie, it was a big budget film. They had a, a SAG contract. They had a Teamster contract. They did not have an IATSE contract. So they tried to get, in other words, they, they tried to get away with one. And, and that's kind of the way it sometimes worked in, in Hollywood. You know, um, they were trying, you know, they, they tried to cut corners where they could. But it was a prime candidate for getting picketed and, 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 had, and gone on strike and getting into the, the union that way. So, um, you know, so I had a big budget show was Andrew McCarthy and uh, Robert Downey Jr. and some really big names in, in this in this film and they picketed us on the second day of production they made us sign these cards and that's how I got into the union that was the beginning of my union work in uh, in California less than zero that's cool I love hearing that because there's so many like it really is crazy uh, usually uh, whoever you ask has a different answer on how they got into the union it's really uh, interesting that there's so many ways to like kind of get in well yes and I, I was really fortunate and and you're right um, there are many different ways to get in um, it, it was well known that you know and I, I I hate to bring this up but it's a fact of Hollywood nepotism played a key role. In, in Hollywood, um, a lot of a lot of uh, sons and daughters were getting in because their moms and dads were getting them in, <laughs> getting them in, and so it was a tough nut to crack. and And I was just fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. Um, but but yeah, but I mean, um, and they had a, a seniority system in the union back then. It was a group one, group two, and group three. And they, these were seniority, you know, if you were a group one, you would get the call first. Oh, wow. Okay. They and don't so have that I, anymore, do they? That's not a thing anymore. No. Matter of fact, um, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because it was when they finally abolished 
the seniority system, the group system, it was big news. It was all over the trades. Uh, Hollywood Reporter and Variety, you know, they wrote it up because now finally you can get a job based on merit and based on your abilities and not just based on uh, seniority. So, so um, right about the time that I got out of the rental house, the seniority system was start was starting to fall apart. Okay. So really, it was really good timing, and I'm really fortunate from that. Wow. Okay. And so, uh, so you're in the union now, and then um, because I so the biggest name I saw, I think, I mean, there were a bunch of like really cool shows and movies that you worked on, but the biggest oh. one I saw on your IMDb was uh, that you were on Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah. you know, it's just one of these shows that I think everyone knows and everyone kind of loves in a way. Um, yeah. And uh, so you you worked in that as an AC, and I'm just curious, um, or, you know, on other... Is, it, is that called a classic sitcom? Is that, is that, what, it, is that what it is, Seinfeld? Oh, one, of the, one of the most classic sitcoms ever to, ever to come out. I mean... You know, Jerry. Jerry wanted to go out on top, and he did. Yeah. You know, it was it was amazing what they offered him to continue, and he ended up turning it down. Oh, wow, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Crazy, crazy amount of money, and he he felt it was he wanted to go out on top, and he did. Cool. And so, how like when you work on on a sitcom, like you know, you're you're in the studio, you're on a Hollywood lot. Um, and you, I would assume they work basically nonstop. Like you just probably go forever and ever as long as the seasons keep uh, continuing. Um, how does that, like, how is it different than working on a movie, like uh, working out on location? Like you're really just seeing that studio every day. And, uh, you know, how, how does that feel? I, I've never had that experience. Um, people got into sitcoms mostly because they wanted to start a family. Now, now I don't. Does that make sense? Totally. Because, because, and and it's one of the reasons I got into sitcoms. And oh, before I get into that, I want to clarify that I was not a regular. I I listed Seinfeld in my IMDb credits because I worked a lot on that show, but I was not a regular on that show. Mm. Uh, but the I was working on a lot of shows on the same lot and the same operators. Uh, you know that that worked on common shows knew me so so Seinfeld was a show it was kind of out of the ordinary um as far as 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 a typical schedule shooting for sitcoms um they uh but but anytime they needed someone to fill in or anytime they needed an extra focus puller uh AC I was the one who got the call so um and and I was thrilled because i knew what a hit seinfeld was and i was working so i but i was so i was working on other other shows uh on a lot but i still felt that you know the guys knew me well enough and and absolutely you know putting in all all the days on that show i'm gonna i'm gonna list it <laughs> but, but how do those days work then like do you have is that a regular like can you can you actually make it work to have like a sort of normal you know everyday kind of like life routine you 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 start at eight and like you you know you're done at seven is that how it works um you know very rarely will a sitcom go out on location so so it's a pretty 
routine schedule of going to the sound stages um and as a as a crew member especially in a camera crew uh the camera crew would would only work on a sitcom two days a week so usually it's it would you would have a monday tuesday show and then you would have a thursday friday show um and then and and what was nice about that was uh was that the day in between which was usually a wednesday would be called the carry day and you would get paid for that day as well sweet so yeah so so it was kind of a union thing but it was it it was a traditional thing it was a tech rate that um sort of made up for uh for choosing that area to work in as opposed to say episodic television that you you work a a pretty typical five-day week so in sitcoms you are always out to look for two shows a week to have that monday tuesday and to have that thursday friday and then each one of those shows is going to pay you for wednesday (laughs) so you were getting you were getting six for four and that was pretty sweet that does sound pretty sweet. I um, I'm kind of jealous. Uh, actually, just hearing about it is pretty nice. <laughs> it was great. It was great while it lasted. I, we'll we'll get into later how that evolved, and 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 eventually went away. But while it lasted, it was great. Yeah. It was great. And you and 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 you and, and as far as your comparisons to to other shows, um, yeah. I mean, uh. For for me, I I had met someone. I got married. You know, we wanted kids. We wanted to have a family. You could go. Uh, it was pretty routine, uh, and especially if you were lucky enough to get a director, a director like Jimmy Burroughs, who created the show Cheers, who uh, who was also behind Will and Grace, of which I did you know over 120 episodes with. Okay. Uh, but but the thing is, the thing with Jimmy is he would have his system like a well-oiled machine and your blocking day, you know, you might come in at eight o'clock in the morning and you might be leaving by one o'clock and you get paid for that full 12 hour day. So, you know, and, and, and that's why I say, you know, people liked sitcoms because they were able to still kind of have a family life. Uh, uh, that way and spend some time with their family. Whereas, you know, as, as you well know, you're working on feature films and you're going on a location. Um, uh, you know, your, your, your film family becomes the family you see more often than your real family. And it happens a lot. So absolutely. Yeah. I have, you know, I have three children and, uh, I, Mm -hmm. I love doing this. Um, but it is, it is hard. It is, uh, you know, my, my wife, I think, uh, sometimes is not too happy about the choice that I made. <laughs> uh, the, the, the absolute best thing you can have is a wife who understands or a husband who understands. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, it's not just, it's not just us. There's a lot of, uh, uh, great women working in this industry too, who have husbands who do other things, yeah. not in the, you know, not in the entertainment business. And, and so it's a, it's a two way street. And, um, like I said, you know, our passion got it, got us into this business and, you know, hopefully it's our spouses that can keep us in, in there. Yeah. Well said. Um, yeah. okay. So let's, uh, let's jump in into this real quick though, because I'm, I'm curious about the technical aspect real quick, because, you know, for us, yeah. 
uh, millennials um, and Gen Z uh, kids who don't know too much about film these days, I assume mm -hmm. everything, um, you know, any sort of like bigger sitcom even was probably shot on 35 millimeters. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, it was uh, in my days uh, of working in sitcoms, it was all 35 with an, ex an, an occasional 16 millimeter show. But it, for the most part, it was 35. Yeah. Wow. And um, yeah. uh, how was it? Do you remember it as being like a very, you know, disciplined kind of way of working back then? Was it because one thing I'm really missing since we went to uh, the digital era is that uh, there seems to be no discipline anymore. Everyone's just shooting the rehearsal and it's. Yeah. <laughs> um, and discipline is just lacking and it, it kind of bothers me sometimes. So was that better back then? Yes, and that's unfortunately a downfall of the digital world. Um, and and even even in tape, you know, they were doing that too. Let's shoot, let's shoot the rehearsal, or let's not cut and just keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, sort sort of thing. Um, and and even in when when I was working on shows like Will and Grace, uh, we were using uh, Panavision. Well, we started with a Panaflex X, and we ended up graduating to the Panaflex Gold uh, or the G two. We would, uh, you know, they, they, uh, Panavision manufactured special 2000 foot magazines for us. So, um, you know, we can go longer than the typical thousand foot magazine, especially when you're, when you're shooting in front of a live audience. Um, so, uh, even the fact that we were shooting film, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, rehearsals, did not get shot just for the conserv conservation of the, of the film. And, you know, film is, is expensive. And, uh, uh, the 2000 foot magazines made it a little bit easier for the directors, you know, once in a great while they might shoot a rehearsal, but for the most part, it's, it's still film. And the rehearsal was usually, usually just watched by the crew before we would shoot it. Yeah, I, the way I think that's the way it should be. But, um, <laughs> because you just mentioned that, um, how, Because I, I've heard that before, uh, or sometimes it says it in front of, uh, in, you know, before an episode starts that it was recorded in front of a live audience. Um, yes. When they do that, I was always curious, if the actors mess up, uh, what do you do? Do they just reset and then they just, you know, keep going and they just cut that bit out? Oh, yeah. It's it's never going to be a perfect show. Um, they're they're going to mess up their, their lines uh, occasionally, and then we just do it again. And, and and it's really it's it's really part of the show. The audience laughs at things like that. And, and and they like to watch the process because it's a real process. And, and you know, the actors are real people. And and sometimes something's not going to go the way you plan. And, and so, uh, you know, the Uh, if if a line is flubbed, and believe me, I have, I have, I have DVDs full of outtakes that are hilarious. And sometimes when I when I when I, when I visit um, film schools and show these, it's pretty funny because I have the uncensored ones. Oh, I bet the ones the ones that didn't get included in the, in the DVD releases. I have some of the ones that still have the four letter words in them that are quite quite funny. Cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so where were we? Where were we going with this? Oh, I was. It was just something that uh, I was really curious about. So uh, yeah, thanks for uh, for clarifying. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, well, the thing is, when you're when you're shooting in front of a live audience, everything in front of them is part of the show, including us as a crew. They're watch. They're they're literally watching everything. They're they're watching the rehearsals. They're watching the director of photography do some last minute tweaks on the lighting, uh, for instance. Um, they're they're watching the crew take. You know, they're watching the camera crews. They're watching the dolly grips make all their moves, and literally everything they're watching is going to end up on television. So they get to. So they can. You know, we're always told as a, as a crew that we're we're part of the show, and so our professionalism is just as important as the actors' performances. Yeah, that makes total sense. But that's really cool. Yeah. I think that that probably just you know creates an, an atmosphere and, and kind of like a dynamic of of its own, which sounds pretty interesting to me. I've never never experienced anything like it. It's 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 really um, pretty amazing. You know, if, if you have, if, for instance, if you have a a Monday Tuesday show, um, that means that the week before the actors were doing a table read, getting, figuring out how they're going to do their dialogue. Uh, and then when it comes to uh, then when it comes to Monday, we're going to block all of their scenes on all of the sets uh, with four cameras. Wow. So, so you've got so when when we block scenes in sitcoms, we take very diligent notes as a camera crew. Um, and so and so if you were to look at each camera A, B, C, and X. A and X are the wing cameras. B and C are the master camera and maybe the two or three shots, two shots, three shots, and the master camera on the inside. So the A and X camera on the wings are going to be shooting your singles. Uh, they're going to they're be um, shooting your close-ups and your singles mostly, okay, unless there's a, some kind of elaborate thing that, that the director wants. But you know, as 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 a wink, and I was in my career mostly a wing camera. Although, like on shows like Seinfeld, I got to be B camera, which was a lot of fun. But you know, uh, focus, of course, is more critical on the wing cameras because you're 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 sh you're shooting at sometimes you know one twenty five. You've got a zoom lens on, and you're shooting at one twenty five, and you're carrying an actor from extreme right to extreme left he may be coming in the door in the living room and he may be walking across the set all the way to the kitchen on the right side and so as an a camera first assistant my job would be to be able to zoom and focus at the same time as that actor is crossing the set and keeping him at elbows wow so so, so I, i so so i need to keep him at elbows bring him across And in my notes, my notes would say, you know, Eric McCormick, who's Will on, on Will and Grace, crosses, uh, crosses to the so crosses to the kitchen, crosses crosses left to the kitchen. So in my in my notes, which is on my notepad hanging from the mat box of the camera, it would say E for Eric because you have to. You when you're blocking, you have to figure out a shorthand that you can write quickly. Mm -hmm. They they block scenes quickly, so it might say E cross left kitchen, and and so you know we have time to take out our tape measures, 
figure out where he is when he comes in, figure out where he is when he lands, and figure out where he is in the middle. Okay. So that's all of that is done in the blocking process on Monday. So then we've got all of our notes written, and then by the time Tuesday rolls around, um, you know, we're we've already seen the scene a few times, and we should be able to nail it. But that means basically you were shooting the entire episode then on Tuesday. So you you were blocking the whole thing on Monday. You were shooting the entire thing on Tuesday. Yes, unless it was a sophisticated, complicated um, scene, we would sometimes shoot scenes on Monday as well and just have them in the can just mm. to have them. It didn't mean that we were done with that scene. We're still going to shoot every scene in front of the live audience. But certain scenes would sometimes just need to be shot. The director would want them in the can as a safekeeping. Okay. And so, but that also means you would basically, you would shoot an entire episode then usually on a Tuesday. So the, the, the live audience would see the, the whole thing, like the, the entire play. Absolutely. But, um, and yes, the audience would see the whole show. If there were scenes that we pre-shot, That we did that we didn't have time to shoot for the live audience, they would see those scenes on playback on monitors, right where they were sitting. Oh wow! So they took care of the audience, really? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you want to give the you want to give the audience the audience is there because number one, the actors need them for feedback. The actors feed off of their applause and their laughter. The actors feed off of that. It's very, it's really important for their performances. Okay, so we want to do our best to make the audience have a complete experience from beginning to end. So we'll show them playback of scenes that we are not able to shoot that day. Well, that makes so makes sense then, so that they get the whole uh, spiel and they understand certain jokes that they might not be able to understand if they wouldn't see the, the whole thing. That is very, very interesting. Um, and uh, I, and excuse my ignorance uh, uh. for not knowing, but I would assume no. that you did all of this with a regular follow focus um, mounted to the lens. You didn't have a wireless system at the time. Yeah, it's funny. Um, um, no, yeah, remote focus wasn't a th really a thing at that time. Or if, or if it was, it certainly didn't hit the, the sitcom world. Mm. We did it the old-fashioned way. We were an extension of the operator, and um, as a first AC, I would I would literally be be standing sideways to the camera. My left hand would be on the focus knob. My right hand would be on the zoom control. Wow! So and so, you know, you learn you you learn how to be in tandem with both of those things at the same time, especially like like. Uh, when you're a wing camera getting those tight shots and working with depth of field issues, you know, uh, um, on, on sitcoms, you're mostly working in the four five, six area. Okay. okay. So, or, or a four five, six split. And, and so at times you had focus, uh, issues, but, but it wasn't that bad really. because you always kind of knew how much, focus carry you had because you're working on the set, on the sets uh, uh the same sets every each week and and you get to know you know focus zones and 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 certain things where depth of field is going to carry so um you know in in that respect it, it it got to be 
uh, uh, pretty routine. We knew that we knew what we could and could not get away with. Cool. That is so interesting. And then uh, at some point you made the switch to um, you know to become an operator. When when did that happen? And uh, and how and why? What what pushed me to operate was was in 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 the sitcom world. The sitcom world was starting to change after many years. Um, uh, what was a traditional camera team of of a dolly grip, a camera operator, and a focus puller um, was starting to become a pedestal show. And and what I mean by that is 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 it, you know the pedestals that you're used to seeing, for instance, on broadcast news, mm -hmm. a camera on a on a pedestal that had wheels, and you had to have a certain skill because now you're doing you're basically doing the the job of 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 that entire camera team as one person because mm. you've got to be your own dolly grip you've got to be your own operator composing shots and you've got to be able to pull focus too um now some guys were able to adapt to that system i wasn't one of them <laughs> <laughs> i don't blame you and and so i got i got to the point where i said if if ever there's going to be a time to move up this is it and I, and i had always wanted to get back into the single camera world so um i called my friends and said that uh, i'm looking to make this transition i've been in this four camera world forever it's time to get back into the single camera where i started and i want to do it as an operator and i got lucky that a some of my old uh, dp friends gave me that chance And uh, and and started uh, letting me get my feet wet. Cool. I did some operating in in uh, um, in the uh, episodic world. Um, sometimes, and I, I got lucky breaks and features doing it, uh, operating in that. But I think the bulk of it was uh, was in in episodic TV. My op. Okay, and I have to ask you this because uh, you know this is the first time I have uh, someone who is uh, who has seen both sides as a first AC and uh, as an operator. Uh, okay. As a, as an operator, what what do you think made a, a good first AC for you? Um, for, for me, uh, um, as an operator, a, a a good first AC is an extension of yourself. Um, you know you. I liked it. I liked it when when the AC was always within air shot. If I needed something, I could turn and and he knew he knew what I wanted before I wa before I wanted it, which is awesome. You know, to have that kind of instinct to to always be tuning in to what's going on on the set, to be listening to the DP, have discussions with the operator, talking about different focal lengths being johnny on the spot so that when the dp turns around you've all practically already got that lens in your hand yeah you know oh it, it makes us first acs feel so good as well it's like you know it's, oh, it, it, it is you turn around and uh, and i already have whatever the you know the yes. viewfinder extension bracket or whatever it is you need and it's just like here it is yes. and it's like uh you know you, you you think alike and that's what i always loved about um uh the 
the the film world is because you get to spend so much time with the same operator so that like after the second week even if it's someone that you've never worked with before but after the second week you kind of pick up on their yeah. on their habits and on their workflow and then you get it yeah. um yes and 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 ultimately that's what's going to keep you busy too because as you know so much of our work um comes from recommendations and word and word of mouth mm. and and if you're Johnny on the spot like that and you're tuning in and you can anticipate the next move, um, your operator sees that. There's no doubt about it. Your operator see, sees that, 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 you know, how dedicated you are uh, to, to what you're doing. And ultimately, that operator is going to get a phone call from another, another operator asking for a recommendation. And you're going to be the first person he thinks of or she thinks of yeah and that's yeah. right i think i think the hard part is to like keep this up you know because uh, in the beginning you know there's this fire and this and this passion and then you work in this industry as an ac for 10 years and there are so many uh you know sort of like bad experiences that you have every now and again where it's just like it grinds you down and then you kind of lose it a little bit so you always have to like try to maintain <laughs> that motivation um so yeah it's good that you mentioned that again yes <laughs> Well, uh, sometimes you have to remember how you got here in the first place. True. You know, sometimes it, um, yeah, you, you know, we're, I would say most of us that, that, that work on films and TV and, and, and stuff like that have, have a passion for it and are fortunate to be doing something that they love. And, you know, some, uh, some people are not as fortunate, you know, uh, and and so, kind of keeping that um, in the back of your head is is a kind of a good reminder when when things aren't going so well. You know, um, you know, there's a reason why we're here, and we could be doing something else, but we're still doing what we love doing, and 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 uh, you know, it goes with the territory that that sometimes. There's going to be person. There's going to be personality clashes, for instance, you know, and and that. But it's that's all part of it. You just kind of have to keep your nose to the grindstone and and uh, and and try to work things out. Yeah, it is part of it, but I think it's also um, I don't know. It, it it feels like it is it is part of what makes uh, the filmmaking process so interesting. Is because you work with new people and new crews. And even though it's essentially the same job, but you know you meet new people at, on on every project usually, and mm -hmm. uh, and to and, and that kind of creates a whole dynamic in and of itself. And I think that's very interesting psychologically to see, like, oh, you know, it's the same job, but it feels very very different uh, than it did last time, just because you know a few people are different. Um, uh, that's part of and, it. And if you and and that happens a lot when you get called to day play. Oh, um, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times, um, you know, I would get a call to come in on a show that needed somebody tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we need somebody tomorrow. Are you available? You know, you've, you've, you've never worked with that crew, but you look at it as an opportunity to meet new people. And so that's why, and, and that keeps things fresh. You know, that keeps things fresh. It's an opportunity to work with a, with a, with a brand new crew and to impress the hell out of that crew, you know, impress, show, show them that you're up to the task. And, 
and you know, I've, I've said it before that creates the word of mouth and that's what keeps you going. That's, yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah, true. Um, so let me uh, move on a little bit because I, so, you know, going back to your IMDb, I think uh, the last, the last entry that I found, the last credit um, dates back to 2012. Uh, but I don't think you stopped at 2012. But um, so, how did you? What happened then? Like, well, you know, you became an operator. You did that for a while. But like, how how did that move on then? That the, the credits stopped going on IMDb. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know why. But um, but I probably worked a uh, a good five years after that. So about 2017, 2018 is when I stopped. When I when I finally hung it up but um yeah that's what i that's that's what imdb but you know imdb isn't as accurate as as people think it is no it never is but i was just curious because when i saw it i was like i'm I'm sure you did you know you you did some stuff uh in between and so i did i did um and it was uh all in operating okay it was all all operating jobs and it was uh you know uh day playing on shows at the studios and then doing it like an occasional occasional feature like i did the uh one of my last projects was uh you remember the reboot of nightmare on elm street the one they did with jackie earl haley yes yeah i do yeah i i operated on that nice And, and the funny thing about that show or that feature was um very coincidentally, a lot of that show was was made up of old Chicago guys like myself. <laughs> But you shot it out in in Hollywood. Yes. Well, no. Actually, the show, the show, um, and so it was a coincidence that I got this gig. The the show shot in Chicago, and then all the they after they looked at everything. They decided they needed to reshoot it like half the show, and we did it all in Hollywood, and that's where I came in. So I, I did I did all the reshoots at Warner Brothers Studios um, for that cool. as 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 a B camera operator, and uh, it was an amazing experience. And amazing. So, but for the most part, um, did you did you stay out in LA, and did you did you usually work in Hollywood, or did you travel a lot as well? Um, occasionally I got to travel, but most of my work was in LA. Um, I did shows in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I, I did commercials in Arizona. Um, I did a, I did a movie in Fayetteville, Arkansas called Frank and Jesse about Frank and Jesse James. But yeah, most, most of it was in LA, but occasionally, occasionally I got to go out, uh, on location and work. And that's pretty cool though, that you, that you get to stay uh, so close to home for the majority of your of your career i think that's that's rare for a lot of us it it is yeah yeah it just kind of worked out that way for me i I can't it not i can't really explain it uh but but you know um it just kind of just kind of worked out that way for me most of my jobs were here an occasional job out of town that was it okay Uh, all right. Well, um, we we covered that. Um, now let's get into something that I'm very excited uh, about to you know <laughs> to chat about because I I do some woodworking myself and um, you uh, own genuine Hollywood Works and um, you make some amazing front boxes and uh, I would really love to chat about it. Uh, like, when did you start making front boxes? First of all. 
Um, I, I started making my my very first front box was sold, and I and believe it or not, I still have the receipt book from, and I use the same receipt book that I started with when I sold my very first box for like a hundred bucks in 1994. In 94, you're kidding. I'm not kidding. That's awesome. Now, I, I'm not going to say that I worked continuously making front boxes from 1994. I, I, I made them for a while, then uh, let's, let's politely say life issues got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and the tools got put away for a while, and then life came back. Mm-hmm. And things got started again. I was able to set up my wood shop again and take a whole new approach to it and and make even better boxes than I started making. But when I first started making them, I sold my first box. It was strictly oak, you know, nothing else. Uh, for a hundred bucks, I think I was I was selling them for back back then. And Paramount Pictures was one of my first customers. That's not a bad customer to have. So the studios still had camera departments at that time, running camera departments, and uh, where where loaders would load the magazines up for the shows and then download them after the, after they were shot. Okay. Uh, so they do all the loading in in the in the camera departments of the studios. So uh, I I sold uh, two of my boxes to to Paramount and then to various ACs who who wanted them. Um, I just found that that I loved still creating with my hands, and, and it was part, you know part of the reason I I stayed as a first AC so long and as 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 an operator and never made the jump up to director of photography was I just loved having that camera in my hands, and I loved working with the camera and I loved threading the Mitchell movement and priding myself on how fast I can thread that damn Mitchell movement on a, on a sitcom when I had to in front of a live audience, you know, but it is the same is the same principle of, of creating these front boxes is is that I love working with my hands and I love working with, with, uh, with tools. And so I love, you know, I kind of try to pride myself on making a front box that, that, um, that a camera assistant would be proud to own, not just as a practical, uh, use for his or her tools. Yeah. And uh, so if, because I, you know, I, I really, I have a genuine love for uh, a wooden front box, uh, even though they're heavy. And, you know, now with the, with the 3d printed uh, parts that, that, you know, everyone can, can make quite easily and, and quite cheaply. Uh, I still want to get a, wooden front box i you know for some reason i just want to have one i don't care how heavy it might be um so woodworkers around the world appreciate that let me tell you (laughs) yeah no it's it is just you know that's i don't know it it just feel that that's something you know valuable to me it's just like you know having that uh i don't know would make me feel more uh more whole i guess as a as a first ac well, for for me, it carries on a tradition um, that, that that camera assistants started probably as early as the as the forties and fifties. Having a and, and these were really I've seen photographs. Believe me, I've seen photographs of these crude but useful 
handmade wooden toolboxes uh, on, you know, in black and white photographs from movies like, you know, um, uh, the Maltese Falcon or, 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 um, or, uh, uh, anyway, well, I mean, so they're not, they're not all, all coming, but I know that I've seen photographs of, you know, behind the scenes camera crews and I've seen these boxes. And so that every time I sell a box and send it to someone, it comes with a letter. Okay. It comes, comes with, it comes with, it comes with a personal letter written by myself, thanking each customer for carrying on the tradition of wooden, of, of, of a wooden front box on, on a film set. It means a lot to me. I mean, it really does. It means a lot to me that, that, you know, they've made the choice to have a handcrafted front box as opposed to a 3D rendered front box or, or a metal or aluminum front box. You know, I can I put so much creativity and and effort and labor into these boxes to make them you know look as great as they can, and um, I'm very thankful that customers around the world have seen photographs of my work and have, have been requesting one for themselves. It really makes uh, makes makes me feel good. Oh, I bet, and they they are beautiful. Um, so if if I would like to uh, say, you know, I I'm 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 a customer. I'm interested. Um, I want to buy a front box. Uh, yes. W like, talk me through the process a little bit. Like, how does this work? I I contact you. I would contact you through Instagram because that's you know how I found you um, a couple of years yes. ago. Um, mm -hmm. And then. And then how do I – do you have different models that I can choose from or do you do I tell you what I want? How does that work? Well, you know, I, I certainly do custom work. I get, I get requests to do custom boxes all the time. And, and um, in fact, I have one in the works now where uh, a gentleman from – where is he from now? I want to say Pennsylvania, but I'm, I think he's from Pennsylvania. I mean he literally contacted me. With a with a custom front box order, you said he said I'm going to send you the wood because you probably don't have what I want. Wow! Okay. <laughs> and he was because he wanted you know he he wanted a box made from quilted maple and then he started naming you know purple heart which I have worked with before and some other species of wood and he he was very specific. I, I love to get custom orders when and you know certainly when I have time to to make them. And, uh, and I make a little bit more money on them as well. So I, I, I enjoy getting that. People have learned that I make these boxes and then they get these ideas in their head. Uh, can you do this? Can you do that? I never say no. I don't have, and, and that was just, that was, that brings me back to my filmmaking days. I know I, even, even when I thought I would say no, I never say no. <laughs> I never say no to a job, even if it's uh, a, no, I know the feeling. Even if it's day playing with a crew I've never worked with, and you, you know, you kind of go in a little uh, antsy, and just try to kind of bite your lip and do your best work, you know. But but um, uh, I'm the same way with custom orders, and and because of it, I've grown, I've grown to be an even better woodworker, you know. Yeah, cool. For not, yeah, yeah. So um, to answer your question, uh, going back to that is. Um, I'll usually make, let's say, five, six boxes at a time, and I don't have a set. Um, it's it's just kind of like I start pulling 
woods for what I have, and then I start uh, thinking of designs, and I, I just start making them. So I'll have an inventory on hand, but then I'll get a call to do a custom order, and I'll have to start doing that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so so, uh, and I've done a lot of them. I've done a lot of custom orders, but uh, but I. I'll, I'll, I'll mix different woods to make the box look interesting as opposed to just having a flat oak box. And then I'll have some flat oak. I'll just have oak boxes sometimes on hand too, because a customer may may not want to pay for the more expensive box and just wants, just wants an oak box, Mm -hmm. which I'm happy to have a couple of those on hand too. And I don't charge as much money for them. So, okay. But so if I would just contact you through Instagram and would say, Hey, you know, uh, Dave, tell me what, what, what do you got right now? You, you could send me yeah. a, you know, a bunch of pictures of the things that you have in stock right now. Yes. I mean, I have a lot of people asking me, you know, where's your website? Why don't you have a website yet? I, I and, and I, I'm finally getting around to putting a website together. I've not really had much need to do it but now i feel that that this way people can people can just go to the website and instantly see what inventory i have on hand the way i've been doing it is mostly through instagram and facebook where um i will i will do a periodic post on instagram well i have i have business suite now as an app on my phone so it it will do instagram and facebook at the same time so i'll do a post and it will post them instantaneously on both mm-hmm. um and then and then the customer will contact me usually through instagram um and and ask me what i have how much they are and uh and so that kind of makes it a more personal transaction too which is which is something that the customer really appreciates because you know now he's talking to directly with the person who makes these boxes and and uh and so uh, i can go over with him what i have on hand how much it is you know what kind of deals i have running at the time and we have this one-on-one uh conversation which they which they like it's the customer service that's that's important and so um i'll take an order or i'll show i'll send them photographs of what i have they'll say they want it and you know they'll they'll take this one all the payments are done universally on paypal which is a real uh easy way of 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 paying for 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 anything online so i've been using literally uh, paypal for years um and uh and that's how it's been working they they make the payment on paypal and i ship the boxes out to them wow and if uh say you know i i i I would like to have something more sophisticated something more uh custom uh how do i you know if i'm you know for myself for example i i suck at technical drawing like i can't do it no yeah because if my life (laughs) depended on it i couldn't i couldn't draw a box for you um but so if i would uh you know just explain to you what kind of features i would like to have you know you you would you would probably know what i'm talking about because you've been in the industry long enough and so then you would just create something and make me happy is that how it works absolutely uh we would go we would sometimes send each other drawings of of what we're thinking try try to do at least a rough kind of drawing with an idea you know obviously the idea starts from the head first and 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 usually i can decipher what they're trying to say mm-hmm. 
because I've been doing it for so long. It's it's pretty easy. Uh, this this person I just told you about who's sending me the the wood. I'm going to be making a box for him unlike any other box I've ever made in the past because he he wants a standard slate carrying box but he has two sizes of slates. He's got a mini he's got mini slates and he's got the standard slates. And he wants his box to be able to carry both. And I've I've never done that before. That is uh, so interesting because literally that is one of my thoughts when I think about my perfect front box. I want to have the same thing because I always yeah. think like I see the one that holds like one slate. It's like, yeah, but usually you have like the smaller, the insert slate as well. So that needs to go somewhere. Um, so I'm gonna, I, audience can't see this, but I'm going to show you this picture that I have on my, my uh, 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 this really crude. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you can see that. I can. Well, what, basically what you're looking at is a front view, a very crude front view of a front box where in the center in the center is going to be the mini slate and then surrounding that is going to be the standard slate. So this is going to be like a, like a mammoth box. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy, but I kind of can't wait to do it because I've never done it before and that's where the challenges are, you know? Cool. All right. So you could like literally make me anything. I, you know, uh, ring holders for, um, you know, the WCU4 or the Preston rings and stuff like that. You know, you know that that just came up um, with a customer that I that I've had for a while that's bought a couple of boxes from me now. Uh, um, her name is Megan, and she's a camera assistant in uh, in uh, Kansas City. Kansas City, Missouri. That's correct. Yeah. The world of Instagram, isn't it great? <laughs> And, and she's just the sweetest thing. And she um, she asked me, um, do you do you um, have anything for the WC force? Because she she sent me a photograph of all of her tools in, a, in the front box, and I saw in that photo that some of her rings were, were sitting on 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 her markers. They were just kind of laying there. She had markers in the pen holders and some of her rings were sitting there. And she says, well, what, what about something that's going to hold my, my focus rings, my various focus rings? And I'm like, Hmm, there's an idea, you know, do I, and then I started experimenting in my shop, trying to come up with something that will hold focus rings and realized I didn't have the ability to do that. But what I, would I um, commission like a plastic worker or somebody like that or, or, some, or maybe have it 3D render, you know, 3D printed, mm -hmm. something like that that will actually fit in the box. So these are all things that I'm, I'm thinking about, about doing in the future. Just doing the focus rings is, is for the WC4 is actually a really good idea. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's good to know because uh, uh, that will definitely be part of my, uh, of my front <laughs> box that I'm going to order. So since, you know, you already said that you can't really, um, you know, draw really well in terms of like technical drawings. Um, oh, I, 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 but I'll do a crude enough drawing so that, that the communication is, is flowing and, and we, we, we see where each other's coming from. Okay. So sure. there was, there's always that, that, that part of it so that I can see basically it's like, okay, I, I like, I know you understand what I want. And then uh, yeah. before you start making it, I, I have reassurance. We'll bounce ideas back and forth. That's part. That's part of my customer service, especially on custom orders. That's um, perfect. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And then, how do you uh, how do you determine a price 
on something like that because i mean you know uh you, you, do you can you tell me beforehand because i mean you're gonna put on a lot of hours and uh you uh -huh. you probably don't know how many exactly so how how do you come up with a price that's a great question um um and it's based on labor it's based on labor hours it's based on um the wood species and how many uh, how many types of wood i use in a single box it's also um based on what's already out there on the market i i i have to do google searches and seeing what what's out there so i'll i'll get on google and i'll type in front boxes and i'll see what they're selling for and i and man i'm like He's getting four hundred. He can't be getting four hundred dollars for this oak box, and there's just no. <laughs> way. Hey, come on, and, and and literally, like I I think if you Google front box, now you'll see like an O'Connor front box for like four hundred bucks, and it's just, it's oak. It's a standard size oak front box for four hundred bucks. Okay, if he's getting that, then I'm in the I'm working for the wrong guy <laughs> or something. But but no, um, I, on average cost. A, a grab and go focus station front box will cost between two hundred and fifty and three hundred dollars, mm -hmm. and I think I think that's a pretty good deal. I, I oh, totally. as if you if you compare it to what else is out there and for what price, and then the standard size boxes are usually four hundred and, and up. They they go four hundred up. They, there's a little more that goes into them, and, and and of course it's it's the labor, it's the wood. And the addition of the slate rails and uh, that, you know, that, so I, I charge a little bit more for them and, and they're occasionally I'll, I'll still send a traditional uh, slate ready box in the States, but they're very popular overseas. Okay. And then uh, in terms of like, uh, if we talk about a real custom. You're going to be my competition now. I'm giving away you all, all my secrets. Oh, I, <laughs> dude, if, if I knew how to really build a front box, if I was that good, I would have built my own one a long time ago. Um, but no, I can't. I, um, I'm going to have to rely on you there. Um, okay. Gotcha. Um, uh, so if, uh, you know, if I'm ordering a custom uh, front box, uh, how long does it usually take you uh, to make it and how long till I get it? Well, I, I tried, I tried to even, even with custom orders, I try to work on more than one box at a time um, so that I, I use my time as efficiently as possible. Um, and so I'll usually give a customer a time frame of two weeks and sometimes I get it done in less than that. Two weeks is uh, fair though. That's very fair. Yeah. Because, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to knock out usually more than one, um, but my but my policy with custom orders is always they have to pay up front for them. Mm -hmm. um, I've I've been unfortunately burned in the past on custom orders and stuck with a box that you know nobody wants. Nobody and, else needs it. Yeah, yeah. So and 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 all of the customers that I've dealt with on custom orders have have never never argued or complained about it and they said they send the, send the money right away and then i give them progress reports and and show them the progress of the box as it's as it's coming to completion that's that's awesome um yeah i would i would totally appreciate that you know if uh, if i was a customer that you know that that really makes it feel special and personal for sure absolutely no i i you know i i know how important customer service is and and uh 
And so, especially on custom orders, you know, when they when they when they pay up front, I want to make sure that they can see the progress of what's happening. So, yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, you probably uh, know this. How much do they weigh? Like on on average, like a grab and go front box. What's the what's the weight? Yeah, uh, um, a grab and go typically, I want to say, weighs. You know, it could be two to three pounds, somewhere in there. That's not uh, um, too bad. No, it's not too bad. And and uh, 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 a larger box may get up around four pounds or so. Okay. And and uh, and so when I when I ship, it's usually with the with the with the two brackets because they usually like to get that deal that I offer. So I so I, I have a, a super what I call a super clamp uh, combo adapter. Which is for the C stand for the focus station, mm -hmm. and it has it's basically my adapter that's attached to a Manfrotto super clamp, and it's on there, and you don't want to take it off because it's on there nice and tight, and if you try to take that adapter off, you risk stripping it. So I I tell them in the in the personal letter that I send with each box, don't take it off, or if you do take it off, you take it off at your own risk, mm -hmm. you know. Um, But but they like um, I have a laser engraver now, so they um, I offer a deal where if you if you get my my camera cart shelf mount and you get my super clamp combo adapter and you get a front box, I will laser engrave your name and first AC on the dividers of the box, or I'll put your company logo on that, or, or I'll put your favorite sports team or whatever you want really, or okay. a combination. Or a combination of both, and they and they, and they absolutely love that. Oh yeah, I bet a anything you can personalize like that, and uh, that's uh, it's a seller for sure. They see on on that thing; it makes it a little more personal. Uh, just so uh, to to clarify that, um, so on the back of the front box itself, you have like the the you know the the good old front box mounting bracket, like the the typical exactly that one uh that no one else can see but um what what dennis is looking at here is a typical uh front box mounting bracket that has the two prongs on it and has a couple of little pads there for uh to, to uh um ease the uh the bracket from getting scratched and and whatnot but that's a typical aluminum I have to. I basically I, I commission a um, I commission a machine shop here in town in Santa Clarita um, uh, to to make those for me. Cool. So, so all to, of this, like one hundred percent made in in California. Like there's nothing coming from. from no, that's right. That's all. Yeah. Cool. This is California. And yeah. Nice. And so, um, but with that, uh, with that mounting bracket, uh, I could basically get like three or four of those super clamps with your, uh, with the bracket that you make for it. And then I could just basically switch the front box, like take it from my stand and like, you know, hook it up to uh, a magliner or uh, whatever else. Well, um, let me show you. Let me see if I have one. Ah. So this, and you, and I know, again, your audience can't see it. Yeah. But that that is a this is for a Magliner or a Jaeger car. Oh, okay, uh, so you slide that the, like right over the lip, basically, of the top shelf. That's correct. Okay, that's 
So, you know, if you're if you're moving equipment from set to set and you want to put your equipment cases on your top shelf when you're in transit, this is a way to keep your front box off of that top shelf Sweet. so that you have more room on that shelf. And and so this is my this is what I call my camera cart shelf mount. Um, it's it sells for 50 bucks. I, I again, I I. Um, I have machine shops that make these things to my specifications and, and then I put them together and there you have it. Very, very nice. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I think that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I, uh, I have on my, uh, on my yeah, list wonderful. of questions here. It was a pleasure talking with you. It was amazing. Uh, thank you very, very much. We will definitely talk again uh, because I'm going to have to order a front box now. <laughs> um, well, you got me. Um, Excellent. I look forward to it. And uh, and people can find you on uh, Instagram and Facebook, and it's uh, Genuine Hollywood Works, right? Genuine, I think, underscore. Instagram or Hollywood Works on, on, uh, on Facebook, and there's a website soon to come, so watch for it. All right. Dave, again, thank you uh, very, very much for your time. I uh, appreciate it. It was fun talking with you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. And that concludes today's episode of the Focus Polar at Work podcast. Thanks again to Dave for being my guest. And thank you all for listening. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving us a, a nice review and a bunch of stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any thoughts or questions, or if you would like to be a future guest on the pod yourself, please send us an email to info at Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope I'll catch you next time.